If you're new here, uh, we're in like week five of a six-week series on the vision of where we feel like God's leading this community of churches in the Portland area. And so to just catch you up these last three weeks, last week, this week, and next Sunday if you're here, we're, we're trying to dive into the practical matter of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our context. And we threw out a phrase last week. I'm going to throw it up again on the screen. We want to live as a family of missionary disciples. That's, that's like our ethos. We want to be a family of missionary disciples. We think that what, that's what the scriptures are pointing us towards. And so tonight we want to tease out the second word, missionary. Um, the first word, family, we talked about last week. And if a family is called to love one another, care for one another, be there for one another, we want to live that way. But we're not just any old family, so to speak. We have a specific purpose. God's brought us together for specific reasons. And part of that is what he wants to do in the world. So we're a family of missionary uh, disciples. Now, I'm a dad, and I've got two kids. And so we try to have dinner as often as we can. And when we do, we go around the table with our highs and lows. Anyone else do that? Like, high, you know, it's so great. I don't know where we got it from, but I'm grateful. Highs and lows, what was great and what was not so great. And we share that way. And, and family is a beautiful thing. Having kids is about more than tax deductions. Although, you know, that's a nice little, little thing. It's, it's about more than family memories and pictures. What is having children all about? Like, what's, what's the point? It's not to get more sleep, we would agree, right? It's not the cheapest route to live. It's, it actually costs money. What's the point of family? Let me just suggest something. Having a family is about the future. It's about legacy. It's about beyond you. It's about you being an instrument of what's going to happen in the future. Uh, one of our worship leaders who plays guitar sometimes, Ryan Doucette, do you know the Doucettes? They had a little baby, Eleonora Ann, on he texted me on uh, last night. They just had their first child, and he texted me pictures. I mean, five pounds, 13 ounces. Oh, little ding, little, you know, little, little, little cutie. And I just can't wait to hold her. I'm, I'm itchy. I'm a little, you know, nervous. I just love little babies. And I think, you know, Eleanor, five pounds, and then my little Jonah, not five pounds anymore. Like, you know, they grow, they grow up. And what is this all about? It's about, it's about the future. So, so I just want to suggest even, even families about more than just growing kids, it's actually about like from Eleanor's like one day old experience to now Jonah at 11 and others, some of you a little older than that. It's about raising kids to fulfill whatever God's put in their path. If you're a parent, right, part of the responsibility, the beauty of being a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle or grandparent, it's about the future. It's about investing now in what they will become and what they will do. And so in a real sense, let's flip that over to us. What is church all about? If we're a family and we're called to one another, love one another, and we're called to grow as all kids grow, what is the point of joining a local church? What's, like, what, what is this all about? If having a, a biological family is about the future and about investing in them to see what they will do and fulfill their God-given callings, then you just tell me for a second, like, what, what is the local church? What is what we're doing here? What is it all about? What's the point? You tell me. Fellowship, being, being together. Support, support one for another. Yeah. Anyone not in the first few rows? With a loud voice. Yes. I'm sorry? About the Great Commission. God's given us something to do. God's stirring something in the world, and 
we're together around that. Yeah, any, anything else? Sharing faith. Our faith in Jesus. We're letting people know about that. We're, we're letting each other know about that. Yeah. Anything else? Growing our relationship with God. Growing our relationship with God. Right. So there's not like one point to church. There's multiple things going on. We are a family. We're sharing burdens. We're caring for one another. We're fellowship. But we're also involved in something that's bigger than us. And here's my point. What happens here week after week and what happens when you join a local church is about more than the experience. It's about more than a weekly spiritual high. It should be. If this is your only feeding platform, the only spiritual investment that you get in week in and week out, you're going to eventually miss the plot line of what God wants to do in the world and in and through you. God is taking the world somewhere and he's actually inviting all of us to be involved in that. So with that in mind, before we get to the tease out, what does it mean for us to be on mission as a church? I want us to think about what God is about. And in order to do that, some of us, you know, the Bible's big and we try to read it in a year and we fail by February. Ever, ever do that? You start in January, I'm going to read this book. And then, no, you're not. You know, by Valentine's Day, you're eating chocolate and reading the newspaper. You, you feel like you're giving. Well, if you've ever read it cover to cover or tried, tonight we just want to take 10 minutes and look at the sweeping story of what God is doing because God is calling us to be a family of missionary disciples, but we need to get clued in to what his mission is. So Genesis 1, 1, we want to look at the big picture story of God. If you want to know what God's mission is, if you want to know what God's heart is, we're going to tease it out and just skim through the Bible and see it in just about 10 minutes. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God starts everything. God's forming. God's creative. He's beginning something. And then just jump down, if you would, to verse uh, 26. After he takes six days and he creates like all that we see, verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they, these men and women, may rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them male and female. Verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over every living creature that moves along the ground. God is a creative. And so he initiates everything and he spends special attention on men and women because he wants partners. We talk about this a lot. He's looking for people that will link arms with him and take what he began and push it forward. Not alone, but from the beginning, our role, our responsibility was to take what God had made it and not just care for it like, okay, make sure it doesn't fall apart, but, but to use the God-given creativity we've been given and take his creation project forward. Now, just jump down to verse 31 of chapter 1. This is all review. God saw all that he had made and it was very what? It was very good. What God created was good. So, so you can look at the creation story as one of five acts in the overarching story of God. If you ever wonder, like, what's the big picture of the Bible? We'll throw it up on the screen. It's creation, what we just read, Genesis 1. And then what we're about to read in Genesis 3, there is a fall. Something happens and fractures 
everything. And then out of that, God's plan is a group of people called Israel who lead to the person of Jesus. Now, again, this sounds fuzzy. It'll make sense. And it's going to lead us from Jesus towards recreation. If, you, if you're a note taker, just write that as a framework. So we saw act one, God made everything that is. Now just jump over a page and a half to Genesis 3, or just a page. Genesis 3, uh, verses 1 through 7. It says, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. So men and women, they'd heard from God and now a serpent comes and tests what they believe about God. Verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. So, so the enemy comes and gives an alternative interpretation. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so men and women hear from God, but then they hear an other story, and look at what happens. They choose to believe the other story. Verse 6, when the women saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then, like, what happens when we disobey? The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. They realized what was really going on. And so they sewed fig leaves together. They felt shame and made covering for themselves. Now, just jump down to verse 23 of chapter 3. All review, but is helpful. What happens when men and women choose to go against God rather than with Him, rather than listen what happens when you say, I don't need you, creator God, if you're out there. I'm going to do life on my own. Uh, verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim. And it goes on to show that men had to now live outside of God's special place. So, so when human beings, again, review, God makes... He invites us to partner. Adam, he, he names all the animals. He's, he's actively involved with God. It says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. They had relationship. Well, we know that on every level, uh, it's not that Adam and Eve, like, bad boy, bad girl, you're out. No, it's that now they have to live with a creation that has been cursed. He cursed the serpent and he cursed the ground. Something happened when, when humankind disobeyed. Something still happens when we disobey. And so God's sweeping story is about he creates something good and we make a mess of it, but then God is actively involved in putting the world back together. Genesis 12. Go to the right real quick. We're humming along here. Genesis 12, all good review. But if you want to know what we're called to, it's helpful for us to know what God has called us to. And Genesis 12 gives us a bit of the hint of the story. Now, from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12, you see that the world spirals out of control. Just read the narratives. Huge flood, and God has to wipe out a full sinful uh, people. Cain is killing his brother Abel. Uh, the people are trying to build a city to reach God out in the heavens. It's, it's a total mess. But what does God do? 
Genesis 12, we see the introduction of God's master plan. It says, the Lord said to Abram, verse 1, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. He says, I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed with you. And, and Abram's response. So Abram went as the Lord told him. So God calls one people, and I want you to notice something. Three times in here, God gives a promise. I will, I will, I will. Look back at it. Verse two, I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. God promises. So we're setting up the the, the foundation here. If you want to be part of a family of missionary disciples, we need to see what God's plan is. God starts with a promise. God is going to make the world right again. Second thing I want us to notice is God's plan is to rescue the world through a people. He's going to fix things, and he's not going to do it by, poof, the whole world is, is great again. Rather, God's plan, and he shows it clearly in Abram, and then from Abram on, is to gather a group of people who will listen, like Adam and Eve had the choice to, and who will obey him and follow him and partner with him. And through one group of people, he's not interested in playing favorites. So sometimes you just read the Bible and you, you read about this group of people called Israel, and it seems like God's playing favorites. Why does he care for this people seemingly more than anyone else? Why does he consider enemies of Israel his enemies? It seems like God's playing favorites. No, God's plan is a promise. He is going to grab one group of people who are going to live in deep relationship with him. And out of that, he wants to rescue the whole world, men and women. He wants to actually put the world back together again through a group of people. He's going to start with it small. And as they grow, they're going to represent what relationship with God looks like. And as they live in relationship with God, it's going to be attractive to other people. And they're going to talk to those people. And those people are going to introduce them to the living God. That is not just the plan of the church. That has been God's plan from the beginning. Grab a group of people and use them to bless the whole earth. And the third thing is all God asks is for Abram to go and be a blessing. That's it. Abram's mission is actually not complicated. Go to the land I'm going to show you and be a blessing. Wherever I go, out of the overflow of what you hear from me, whatever I, you hear from me, just, just do that. Whatever I say, speak that. And Abram is one of the first people we see that actually takes God at his word and obeys. And, and the story of God's rescue plan is as simple as two commands. Go, and if you're reading it in Hebrew, there's two commands in, in God's message to Abram. Go, bless. And so in the same way, when we think of our mission here in 2013, we think of what it means to be a part of a church at its base level. How do I live as a family of missionary disciples? In community, we want to go and bless at its base level. Now, the details will be different for all of us. What does it mean for us to go and bless? Now, you saw for that group, it's, 
It's to put on a farmer's market and get local people and local produce connected with other people. And what they do, they didn't tell you on the video, is a lot of the overflow of what isn't sold, they take this fresh produce and they have a network of people who are in need and they give that fresh food to, to families in need and they do more than that. They actually teach these families, those who are willing to listen, how to cook good, healthy food. So that, for that group in Wilsonville, they, they see that they're in a farming community and so go and be a blessing is in the name of Jesus, not just because they're nice, but because Jesus wants people to flourish. Would you agree? And he wants those who are without food to have it and he wants those who don't have the skill set to live a healthy lifestyle. Not only should they know the God who created good food, but they on a, a simple level want to get where people are at and bless. They have been blessed by God with an abundance of time, energy, resources, and skill. And so they want to now live out blessed to be a blessing lifestyle. Does that make sense? This is not complicated. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, your mission in life at its base level is in community as a family, not isolated, together. Find out what are the ways to go. Take what God has given you. Take what God is showing you. Take what God is remaking you. We don't have it all together. It's not like you reached a level and then God says, you're ready, go. He says to Abram, go. He doesn't know anything. Go and be a blessing. And so if you've been following Jesus one day, that's one day enough to go. And take what God is doing and bless the earth. Now, we do know, if you read the rest, we're going to fast forward, go to the New Testament to Acts chapter 3. Go to Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Um, why am I fast-forwarding the rest? Because I'm running out of time, duh. Um, Acts chapter 3 gives us a summary of what happens um, in this story of God pulling out a people and calling them to be blessed by God, to be a blessing to everyone. So if you've read between Genesis 12 and and Acts 3, you realize it goes bad really fast. Abram has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons that grow in number, and they become a group of people that eventually is called Israel, which represents all of these people that have Abram or Abraham as their father. So God speaks to one guy and says, I'm going to bless the world through you, and his family extends. But they, like us, fail at going in God's name in relationship with him and being a blessing. They go to other gods instead of the creator God. They're stingy, they're greedy, they're full of pride. They have all sorts of baggage. If you want to know what your life has looked like, just read the rest of the Old Testament. Sometimes Israel gets it right. Most of the time, we get it wrong. We don't point the finger when we look at the people of Israel because we're just like them. But within it, God does speak to his prophets and says that there is going to be one who's going to be a rescuer, a person like Abram, like Moses, a great leader. They called him Messiah. And when Messiah comes, he was going to do what Abram and his family failed to do. He was going to go into the world in relationship with the Father and bless. And so Jesus fulfills what no one else could do. Jesus lives the perfect life. Jesus dies for our sin. Jesus rises again. And then the early followers, Peter in particular, we're going to read from verse 17 of Acts 3. 
he begins to preach and proclaim the story of God. Like, what is God doing? Where does Jesus fit? Because sometimes if you read the New Testament, you think like, okay, Old Testament, like pre-Jesus, one story, and then New Testament, a whole new plan? No way. Just read verse 17 of Acts 3. It says, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. So, so Peter, in explaining this message of Jesus to Jews, says, think back to Israel. Uh, you know Israelites all of us, including you, you acted in ignorance, you failed, as your leaders did, but God was faithful. Verse 19, repent then, turn back to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So the early preaching, the early story of the church was not just that Jesus came out of nowhere, but that Jesus fulfills what God had been planning to do from day one. That God would take one person, create a family of people, that family of people would bless the nations. So Jesus does what Abram can't do, what Moses can't do, what none of the kings could do, what none of the prophets could do. And now he says, repent and follow Jesus. Verse 21, heaven must receive him until the time comes from God, and hear this phrase, to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So God's plan from the beginning was when human beings, men and women, messed up, God's rescue plan was to make everything right again. Not just human beings, but all of creation. God's plan, and the reason where this is, we're going to see ourselves fitting in, is God wants to make everything right again. Of course, starting with human beings, but it goes out into the very world that we live in. What God is calling us to is to partner with him to make the world anew, the, where, the way it was created to be. The world isn't a mess, would you agree? But God's plan is to make things right, starting with us, the way that we live one to another, modeling that out, and then see it multiply. Verse 22. For Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Verse 24. Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who had spoken, foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers, he said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth, and he quotes back to Exodus, um, sorry, to Genesis 12, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. What he says is, if you want to experience life with God, it's in the person of Jesus. And when you join Jesus' family, the whole thing he was trying to do to Abram, you join the family of God from across the earth, and now you're positioned as God's doing a work in you. Your life can be a model of God's blessing, not just for your family. I don't know about you, but I have realized that following Jesus makes a practical difference in the real world, doesn't it? 
My family is different because of the influence of Jesus Christ. But, but, but church or following Jesus or the family of God isn't just about me and my family. It's about God doing a work in me and in us and in all of us collective that God would want to use this group of people to now bless the earth and preach the gospel. Now let's just jump one more text and we'll bring it home. Go all the way to the last uh, book of the Bible, Revelation. Revelation 21, just go to the end and go back a page. Uh, Revelation 21 and the first few verses there. I know it's long and this is all the intro, but the, but the, but the rest of it is actually quite simple. Revelation 21 and 22. So chapter 21, we'll read the first few verses and then chapter 22, we'll read the first few verses. It says, 21 verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John getting a revelation. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. Now, chapter 22, the first few verses. Chapter 22, verse 1. The angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve, serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, which looks kind of weird, but it's true. There will be no more night. There'll be no need for the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. I know, I know I'm reading a lot, but the end of the story is very much like the beginning of the story. So in Revelation, you see what was pictured at the beginning. In the beginning, there is a garden. At the end in Revelation, there's a garden-like city. In the beginning, there's no tears. There's no mourning. There's no death. At the end of creation, there's no more tears. There's no more mourning. There's no more death. In the beginning, God is with his people, and they're with their God and his relationship. And at the end, there's a, a recreated city. There are new heavens. The atmosphere is made new. The earth is made brand new. This is mysterious, but God hints in the future what he's about to do. And here is my point. God, in telling us the end of the story, now invites you and I in the here and now to partner with him as we await what he's going to do. One day Jesus is going to return and make things brand new. But let's recap God's mission until that happens. Are we supposed to sit around and wait for, for Jesus to come and make things right? I would dare say, if you read the Bible story, the answer is no. 
Because God made things good, and yes, the world is a mess. He used one group of people, Israel, who now culminated in the one man, Jesus, who is from the descendant of Abram, who does things right now. Because of Jesus, you and I are put into this family called the body of Christ. We're now filled with God's Holy Spirit, and God, person by person, is making things brand new. He's recreating people as we share the gospel and people choose to repent of sin and follow Jesus. He's restoring families. He's restoring neighborhoods. He's restoring cities. And one day, we see it in little bits and pieces here, one day God is going to make everything brand new. But until then, you and I get the privilege to partner with God. God is on a mission. Now, he tells us the end of the story where he's going to make all things new, but God's mission, that is our story. What God is doing in the person of Jesus, as you look at the Gospels, what we see in Jesus and in the Jesus followers is about Jesus taking brokenness and making it whole. People with sin and Jesus forgiving them. People who are dead, Lazarus is absolutely dead, and Jesus brings him to life. What God wanted to do at the beginning life with him in relationship, he's now doing right now because of the good news that we're called to share. So God's mission is our mission. So where God is creating and God is moving and God is stirring, now you and I get to partner with God. So, so how do we know that? Throw it up on the screen, John 20, 21. Right before Jesus goes away, Jesus speaks to his disciples and says to, the, to them, As the Father has sent me on mission, so now I am sending who? You. He says to the 12 disciples, you are called. You are now are involved in what God is doing from the beginning. Why go through Genesis to Revelation? Because sometimes we forget what we have been invited into. Now, so let's get back to it. What is the point of a local church? How do we shape what we're doing in light of what God is doing all around the world. Before we get into some tangible tidbits of of how we can live that out, a quote by one author, Christopher Wright, in thinking about what the mission of God is and what I'm called to do. He says, the Bible as a whole presents the universal, the, the one God, with a universal mission that's first announced to Abraham, and then it's accomplished in anticipation by Christ, so, so Jesus does what Abraham can't do to be completed one day in the new creation, whatever mission God calls us to must be a participation in this. What God is doing, you and I are now called to do. Now, why do I say that? Some of us, uh, depending on what tradition that we've been brought in, we think that coming to church is about us coming for uh, teaching us, coming for worship, us coming even for fellowship or friendship. That's part of it. But let me just suggest this. God calls a people, Abram, and now he calls a people, the church, yes, to relationship, but more than that, he calls us to mission. So what we want to do is as a community, we want to align what we do in in alignment with what God is already doing. That's why over the last few years, you, if you've been at, at a Jesus Church, formerly known as Solid Rock, Sunset, whatever we are, uh, as a community, 
He is calling us more and more to think about more of our time, our attention, our energy, on not just the gathering, which is important. Israel was called to be a people, but on the scattering. Because I don't know about you, but most of my time, my attention, my spiritual energy, so to speak, is on me and my growth. But God is on a mission, would you agree? And God is concerned about others. So what we want to do as a community is to focus and reorient what we do here in light of what God wants to do all around the world. So what's our method? This is all basics, but during these vision weeks, we want to remind you of the basics. What is our method? It's kind of in four stages. Our method is gather and scatter and serve and give. So what we do, once, we want it to revolve around the gathering. That's what's happening here on the weekends. But we also want to scatter, and we do that in missional communities. Why? So we could do two things, that we would serve, we would be a blessed people so that we would be a blessing. We would receive from God when we get together, but more importantly, that we would give out and that we would be generous. So, so our, our, our way of doing that is really twofold. We gather here on the weekends, and for those of you who are new to the community, we gather in smaller groups all around the city in something we call missional communities. You saw the film, and you have the new one here to Westview High School that we're commissioning out tonight. The point is that we're not turning into a church that is only outward focused. Hear me clearly. What we do here on the weekend and what God's doing whenever we get together is critical. We want to be the people of God. But it can't end here, and so we want to reshift our energy, and that's why we're inviting you over these six weeks to think about how you can reposition your time, your energy, to partner with God in the renewal of everything. God has given you gifts, and part of the reason he's drawing you into this community and these gatherings is so that he'd heal you up. If you're coming in a broken state, if you're coming with pain, and suffering or hurt, fantastic. This is a place of healing. This is where God wants to set us free. If you don't know much about the gospel, this is a place of teaching where you would learn and grow. But more than that, whatever we receive, we want to find creative ways that we could partner together with each other and with God to send that out. Now, what does it cost us to do that? I want to suggest it costs all of us something. Um, what does it mean to reorient our lives around the mission of Jesus? Is partnering with other people in this community and meeting on a Tuesday night or a Friday night or a Saturday morning uh, for prayer, uh, for encouragement, to, to find out how you can partner together to share the gospel with people in your community, does that cost something? Yeah. It's way easier just to come in week after week on the Sunday and then go home go home and try to live out the gospel by yourself. I, I'm the first to admit, that seems like the easier route. But yet, all throughout Scripture, you see God binds people together. Think of the 12 apostles. Apostles, Jesus sent them out two by two. He sends them out in missionary teams. God's plan from the beginning is to gather us, yes, in the big, but to send us out in the small. So we need creativity. Now, this isn't the... Man, if you're not connected in a missional community, you should feel bad. No. Rather, this is the invitation to ask the Holy Spirit of God. Because what's it going to take for us 
to reorient our worlds around the mission of Jesus. It's going to take Jesus speaking to us. What does it mean for you to reorient your schedule so that there's room carved out to invest in other people in this community and the communities that you're called to serve? The beauty of this is I can't answer that for you. But all we can do is to remind you that you've been called to the mission of God. And that is to see people recreated by Jesus, to see them flourishing in the way God intended, and to prepare them so that one day when Jesus does return, that they'll spend eternity with God forever, uh, and that together they will be with the Lord as we are with the Lord. So what does it mean to live on mission? It means all of us coming to God again and again and asking him, what are the things in my life that are good and helpful, and then what are the things in my life and in my world that are keeping me from the mission that you called me to? And so within our community, we found that, that it takes a reorienting of our time. So for us, it's been a juggling act over the last two years in when we meet and how we meet. We used to meet in, in our missional community all together all the time, but we found it was probably a little more helpful for the guys to meet at separate times and the ladies to meet at separate times, to pray together, to encourage each other in spiritual growth and to read scripture together. So have we got this figured out? Absolutely not. But together, we're asking God continually, how can we be reshaped? Lord, what are the good things that I need to be involved in? But also, Lord Jesus, what are the things that are keeping me too busy, too burdened down, maybe too self-centered. What are the things that I need to let go of to live this kind of mission-centered life? So here's what we want to do tonight. We want to create space. This week, I'm going to invite you to, to ask as part of your routine, whether you get up in the early morning to pray or you pray in the middle of the day in your lunch break or you pray in the evening when you're at home, I'm going to invite you this week to begin to ask God Next week, we're going to cap this off with what it means to be a disciple. But I want to ask you to ask God this week, what are the things that I need to hold on to to live out the mission of Jesus? What are the things that you put in me that I have to share? Lord, help me to hold on to the things that you put in my life and then let them go. But what are the things that I need to remove in my life? Maybe that's one activity. Maybe there's one good thing in your world that's sucking up 5, 10, 15 hours that you need to let go of to, to leave room for other people within our group here, within the church, so that you have the time to get together in a home or a coffee shop. You have the time to invest in the neighbor that's far from God. It's about asking God, listening, saying, God, what is it that I need to hold on to? What do I need to let go of? And tonight, we want to begin that process. We're going to have a time of worship. I'm going to invite Anthony uh, to come back and and tonight, we're going to give you just a few moments to begin to ask in a practical way. Lord, we're all busy. We all have too much going. But I think that what God wants to do is to remind us that we are partners with him. And as we begin to listen and ask God, what are the things I need to hold on to? What are the things I need to let go of? I think that the Holy Spirit is wise enough and gentle enough and kind enough and specific enough. And he'll show you. Uh, it's taken two years in our group. I feel like we're beginning to find a bit of rhythm. And uh, maybe that process can start for you tonight. 
Uh, as we pray, I think about the words of Jesus. He was alone praying away from his disciples, and his disciples came back to him and said, uh, hey, everyone's looking for you. You've been healing. You've doing all these great things. And uh, Jesus says back to his disciples, he says, no, uh, my call is to go to the other towns and villages and preach the gospel there also. Uh, Jesus, alone with the Father, he got specific instructions. The disciples are like, people want you here. But Jesus, out of his time, alone with his Father, heard by the Spirit, no, uh, here is good, but I'm actually called to go to the other towns and villages. And so I think Jesus is the perfect picture. He spends time with the Father and he asks. And then the Father, who's good, gives instructions to his kids. Uh, tonight, maybe we challenge this. Maybe you don't ask that way. Maybe you don't take the time to just say, say God, what do I need to hold on to? What do I need to let go of? Who are the people I need to invest in within the community or who are far from you? What are the things that are keeping me from doing that? Tonight, we want to give you the space to do that. Anthony's going to play. And for just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to listen. And uh, prayer is not just about speaking. Sometimes it's about listening. And I'm going to be quiet here in a moment and give you a few moments to ask the Father. What are the things I need to hold on to? What are the things I need to let go of? Who are the people that I need to invest in? Who are the people that are maybe a, a, a hindrance to what you want to do in my life? And I pray that tonight as we ask him, that the Spirit will lead us and guide us. After a few moments, the worship team is going to come and we're going to end our time in worship and at the Lord's table. Lord, we come to you now and we want to follow you. We want to live as missionaries, partnering with you for the renewal of all things, to see people changed by the power of, of the gospel and to see our own lives transformed as we follow you. So Jesus, tonight, speak to your people. What are the things you want to do in our world? We invite you now to speak because we're listening. In Jesus' name.